Gilbert Family Mug Collection. For all of you parents watching the Pixar film Onward with your kids, or maybe you're just a parent watching the movie Onward by yourself because you're awesome, this is the uh, van you'll notice from the movie Guinevere. Anyway, just so you know. Hey, let me read from Revelation chapter 2. We just have four short verses this morning as Jesus is addressing the church in Smyrna. Let me read and then let me pray. Revelation 2.8 And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let me pray. Lord, this is um, a sobering passage because we're reminded in it that in this life we will have trouble. The Lord, help us to remember what you promised. Fear not, I have overcome the world. So Lord, um, go before us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as you recall, Jesus gives a certain attribute from chapter one, certain picture of himself that he applies specifically to each of these churches depending upon their need. And here, it's pretty clear that Jesus is presented to the church in Smyrna, and look in verse eight, as the one who has the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. So in other words, it's the resurrection of Christ that he is reminding them about. And we have to ask, why, why is that particularly pertinent for um, the church in Smyrna? Who is the book of, who is the church of Smyrna? What do we learn about this church, even from just these brief words? Well, interestingly, this is the only church, or actually it's one of two churches that Jesus addresses here that does not receive a rebuke or an exhortation or a correction. Um, in fact, it is just straight up encouragement for this struggling, suffering group of Christians in Smyrna. So Smyrna was in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. It's about 30 miles north of Ephesus. So this letter um, most likely would have been distributed in a circular fashion, meaning the, the book of Revelation, this letter, it would have gone to Ephesus and then up north towards Smyrna. And what's interesting about the, the town of Smyrna is that as it relates to the worship of the emperor, now remember that became an official policy in the Roman Empire um, by this time, that Smyrna was particularly noted for its devotion to the worship of Caesar. And in fact, we know some 60 years after this, a very famous martyrdom um, in the church occurred in Smyrna over this very issue, the name Polycarp. And Polycarp, interestingly enough, was a disciple of G I'm sorry, of John. And so he had a direct connection to one of the apostles. And he's very famously noted for being drugged into the arena and, and given a chance to renounce his faith so that he's not eaten alive by wild animals. 
he said something, this is a paraphrase, you know, for 86 years of my life, I had followed Jesus. He has done me never harm, spiritual harm. Um, how could I deny him at this point in my, in my life? And so this was a particularly oppressive culture as it relates to the worship of Caesar. Now remember, you can worship anything you want the other 364 days of the year. It's just that one time of the year when you had to appear in public and give ultimate lordship to Caesar and to bow down before him. And it was this official policy that was resulting in all sorts of persecution. And the church in Smyrna was particularly feeling that. Now they were also um, being sort of buffeted from the other side. And you see this uh, reference in verse nine. It seems that there were Jews there um, who were intent on stirring it up and having the church exterminated. Remember, they saw the Christian faith as a, as a, as a cult, as a sect um, that deviated from Judaism. They wanted to stamp it out. They obviously didn't recognize Jesus as the, as the chosen Messiah. And so they, um, they were actively persecuting and stirring it up and inciting um, a lot of this opposition um, against the Christians who live there in Smyrna. And so um, Jesus, it, it's kind of a stark picture. Listen to what he says. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. So in other words, they know that there is a, that, that suffering is coming. And this is what Jesus always promises his disciples. And any ways that we might feel pressures upon the church or the Christian faith in our own day, which by the way are, are negligible compared to something like this, we have to remember that this is what Jesus promised. This is what, um, if, they, if they persecute me, Jesus says, of course they're going to persecute you. It's a sign of your membership in my family. But he tells them that they are about to be thrown into prison. They're about to be tested. He says they are, I mean, this is a promise. Look at verse 10 you are actually going to suffer death. And so, so, so Jesus is not in denial. Um, he is not placating the church in Smyrna. He is reminding them in these sobering terms what faces them by being a disciple. Now, what does Jesus say to comfort them? And what does Jesus say to comfort us? And I've picked out four or five things that I think are particularly relevant. And first of all, Jesus reminds them in verse 8 that he too died. And he has come back to life. And, and what that's, I think, meant to denote is this idea that Jesus, as our high priest, knows exactly what it's like to suffer. He's not giving these admonitions from his, his ivory tower. He actually physically, emotionally, spiritually knows what it feels like to die. And he's saying, I am your high priest. I fully understand what you're walking through. I walked through it. Um, it says that, Jesus knows them, look in verse 9, their situation, their poverty. And by poverty, he, he is re referencing their, just their destitutness, probably the fact that many of them not only were uh, probably physically poor because they could find no work because of the persecution that surrounded them. But Jesus wants to say, I know you. Because what did Jesus, how did he live for the last three years of his life? Nomadic, no place to rest his head. Um, depended upon his heavenly father from day to day to provide for him. So Jesus knows them. This is interesting here when he says 
the devil's about is about to throw you into prison that you may be tested. What's interesting there is that I think Jesus is highlighting the fact that their suffering, and by consequence our suffering, is not without purpose. Certainly Satan is has um, been given reign against the saints for a season, okay, here just like he was with Job. But as my good friend Dave Harvey always said, Satan is on a leash. It's a very short leash. It may seem like a long leash, but he's on a leash to accomplish God's ultimate goal, which is what? That our faith would be tested, that our faith would be refined, that we would be made more into the image of Christ. As James tells us, suffering produces perseverance. And so John is, or Jesus is reminding them that their suffering is not without purpose. Finally, okay, we are not finally, one additional thing here, and we this gets into the, the bit about how are we to think about numbers in the book of Revelation. It says, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. I don't think that means that literally that's 10 days because obviously this persecution was much more extensive than that. And I think what he means to say is that their persecution, their suffering has a beginning and an end. That in other words, it's all under the sovereign control and authority of Jesus himself. He is the one who sets aside the amount of time that his people suffer. Um, no day more, no day less. And he's letting them know that it's ultimately not Satan who's in charge of their suffering. He is sovereign over their suffering. And that rest assured, it will be limited um, from the perspective of eternity. And so, and this is, and again, it's that eternal aspect finally that he emphasizes as he's as he's closing the book when he says that um, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? Well, when we look in other places in Revelation, for example, Revelation twenty one eight, we see that the second death is in fact the fire, the lake of fire, meaning that there is a physical end to our lives. Okay, um, but that there is a coming judgment in which those who have not known Christ, follow Christ, thrown into the lake of fire. And we don't know exactly what all that involves, but we know that it's a death that ultimately destroys the soul. And, and Jesus is saying, while you may die physically on this earth, your soul rests secure in me. And I think this really speaks to a lot of us. I, I, I know maybe probably the older we get, we, we think about death more. Uh, the fear of death. Am I going to die well? Um, am, am I going to have what it takes in that day? Or even if I'm called to, to, to die for my faith or to answer for my faith, am, you know, am I going to have what it takes? And when we're not in that situation, um, we, we are fearful. We don't know what's going to happen. We, we, we fear that time. And I think the point of all this is Jesus saying, do not fear. In that day, just like Polycarp, I will give you the words to say, I will give you the grace to endure, and you can walk boldly into what I have for you because um, I love you, and none of this is happening apart from my, my sovereign hand. So tons of great stuff in this little encouragement to the church in Smyrna for us to think about and to ponder because as Christians, we... 21st century Christians, we immediately think suffering bad, suffering 
not God's plan for my life. Suffering, I must be sinning. Suffering, I must be doing something wrong. Suffering, I, um, you know, I've missed the boat somehow. And the reality, as we've seen in our study um, through the book of First Peter this summer, that's not that's not true. That um, all of these things are wrapped up in the sovereign hand and purposes of God, who does all things for His glory and for the good of His people, us. So that is Jesus's word to the church in Smyrna. We'll be back here Monday morning, same time, same station, to look at the church in Pergamum. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Let me pray. Lord, would you go before us today? Would you remind us that our suffering is merely, like the church in Smyrna, 10 days. It is of a limited um, duration that's under your sovereign hand. Let us be encouraged by looking to you, Jesus, today, the author and perfecter of our faith, our great high priest, who can sympathize with all of our weakness. We ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ.